0: Welcome. Hi, I'm Katie Morell. I'm a creative and writer based in Bend, Oregon. And I'm Karen Hawkins.
1: I am the founder of Rebellious Magazine for Women and co-publisher and co-editor-in-chief of The Chicago Reader.
0: You are listening to Of Course I'm Not Okay, the podcast. Join us as we talk about mental health, coping with quarantine, and creativity.
1: For some of our episodes, we'll talk with writers, creatives, and activists to get their take. Thank you for joining us on this journey.
0: Wow. Hi, Karen. It is amazing to see you. I'm in the best mood.
1: <laughs> Katie, it is always good to see you. I started, I had you, had we started this converse, this particular part of the conversation two hours ago, I would have not have been in a good mood, but you, like you, I'm in a great mood now.
0: I, and it's really all because I love seeing you. That always makes me in a better mood. But today... It's a very special day. (laughs) It is the day when, I will say, one of our very favorite guests returned, Dr. Tahani Israel from the University of California, Santa Barbara. Listeners, if you know her, you love her like we do, she was on episode number seven of season one. How lucky are we that she graced us with her presence again? Oh my gosh. I really, I still...
1: Can't get over the fact that we got to talk to her a second time and that she once again blew our minds. Like it just everything she said. I I feel like I said this the first time. Everything she says is a mic drop. And I I had the same experience this time.
0: Yes, exactly. Like if if people haven't listened, we Dr. Tanya Israel is a expert in she wrote a book basically about how to talk to um, people across the political divide it's an incredible book and it's called beyond your bubble how to connect across the political divide and strategies for conversations that work it's it's really incredible she's been everywhere every podcast every morning show all of it and we were so lucky to have her on when was it I guess it was like September but since then I thought you know I was so excited for her to come on. And then I was like, okay, well, I didn't even really think about it. I was just so excited. But then she came on and just mic dropped every five seconds beyond anything that she had mic dropped in episode seven. It was honestly, my brain is exploding. I'm so happy.
1: I'm thrilled. And I can't wait for y'all to hear this conversation and background. She reached out to us um, and said she wanted to talk about unity. And we were like, you can talk about whatever you want yes
0: truly anything
1: really um
0: yeah yeah she and that's why we were like oh wow that's timely (laughs) that's pretty yeah yeah that's pretty timely so we had like the most fun talking to her and I will say if
1: you like us were feeling a bit skeptical about the topic of unity make sure you listen to everything that she has to say she really made me rethink everything I thought about it right now
0: Yeah, I'm, like, not even kidding. I'm definitely going to re-listen to this episode a few times. Like, I think I need to do that because I think I need to let some of her teachings really seep in. Like, I really... I mean, one thing I said right before we press record just now is that, like, I feel like a better person for having, like, talked to her and know her. And also just, like... I really think she brings something different to the table on this conversation. Absolutely. Yes. But before we give you over to Dr. Tanya Israel listeners we do want to address something from last week so last week we talked about boredom and I will say that of I mean Dr. Israel's previous episode was very much something that like right like you and I had a ton of text messages from and people were constantly talking about it yeah but I never knew that boredom would be number two. Like yeah. we have been inundated this week, right? Absolutely. And I,
1: above even the bat light ladies, I feel like it was always Dr. Israel, the bat light is, but now it's Dr. Israel and boredom. Yeah. So many text messages, so many WhatsApp messages about like, that is really real people, particularly what really resonated with people is what you said about depression versus boredom. That for people was just like,
0: oh, damn. Yes. It's like, I've been thinking about it too. I've been thinking like, and then it's like we had text messages about all kinds of things that like masquerade as boredom. Like we mentioned loneliness. We mentioned, I mean, again, depression. Anxiety can masquerade as like, or boredom can masquerade as anxiety, is what I mean. And, but it's really interesting. I had some friends reach out and say, like, oh, wow, like I'm not the only one that feels bored but that boredom is actually like it's not just oh I'm bored like this is just this one day thing like it's kind of it feels like it's in our bones right now for a lot of people
1: it's in our bones and it's locked in with all of these other things and and we also talked about the stigma of admitting you're bored like it's really it just again comes from this place of privilege and people just don't want to admit to it And one of the conversations I had with people was like how helpful it was to even just name it like, Oh, bored. I'm bored. That's what this is. That's what I'm feeling. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's a feeling like every other feeling.
0: Yes, exactly. Like it's like the stigma and then wrapped in shame, you know, like, it's like, there's, I mean, stigma and shame, same thing, basically, but like, it's just this idea that you shouldn't be. You shouldn't be bored. You shouldn't be feeling a certain thing. And because you have the privilege of being bored, you should feel even worse about being bored. Yeah.
1: Yeah, not helpful.
0: No, it's not <laughs> helpful <laughs> at all. Whew. Uh, so maybe we'll explore that further in another episode. But it's, yeah, worth noting that you and I, wow, we had, I was not expecting for that many people to be that resonant with that topic.
1: I completely agree. And I'm sorry, we're all bored.
0: Yeah, we are. We are. You're not alone if you're bored, which is really moral of the story. But on that note, you will not be bored listening to Dr. Israel today. So enjoy today's episode. And thank you again to Dr. Israel for your time. (laughs) Dr. Tanya Israel, welcome back.
2: Thank you so much for having me back. I am thrilled to be here. We, as we've already
1: told you, we are thrilled that you are here and had an all caps email exchange (laughs) about the fact that you are here. If I know there is a sound equivalent of all caps emails, but we're not going to do it to you listeners because (laughs) it's wrong.
2: Oh my God. No, no one makes me feel more like a luminous rock star than you two do. So oh,
0: <laughs> you are a luminous rock star. We love you so much. And I have to say, since our podcast with you listeners, if you have not heard, it's episode seven of season one, um, where we talk about difficult conversations and kind of how to talk about them. This is way before the election. We have had, I would say that you're by far the most commented upon guest that we've had. Karen, would you agree?
1: I would completely agree with that yes oh,
0: yeah wow that's fantastic my my father-in-law bought your book my dad my dad's partner bought your book like they like there are a lot of people in my very close personal circle who have benefited from your work so thank you
2: oh, you know I have to say the best thing about having written this book is just when people have been struggling over this time I feel like I do have something useful that I can offer and that just feels so good because it's it's just so hard for so many people. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So can you, okay, remind us the name of the book and tell folks where they can buy it.
2: Absolutely. The book is Beyond Your Bubble, How to Connect Across the Political Divide, Skills and Strategies for Conversations That Work. It is available wherever you buy books, um, but you can also go to my website, tanyaisrael.com, and I link to all the places where you buy books. And so you can also find more things there, including... Uh, you can download the flowchart that will resolve all political conflict in our country, which um, hasn't done that yet. But I think that's really just a distribution issue.
1: <laughs> yes, great.
2: Yes, I totally okay. hundred percent. That, that will be
1: solved. That distribution issue will be solved once this podcast episode airs.
0: Fantastic. This will solve <laughs> all of our problems. <laughs> So, okay. I have to say like, I was, I really almost fell out of my chair when I got an email from, when we got an email from you, I guess it was what, maybe about two weeks ago. I want to say it was like
2: a week ago. I think it was last Friday.
0: Okay. Mm. Yes. It was just a week ago. Wow. Time is such a construct right now. It's wild, but yes. So, so basically for listeners who haven't, you know, been listening to every single episode, the episode that Karen and I um, recorded immediately after the, the inauguration was one where we really talked a lot about feeling this feeling of, without a better word, hungover. Like, we felt very, like, I don't know if lethargic is the right word. Both of us had COVID-like symptoms immediately after the election. We were actually, like, legitimately feeling ill, Um, and, you know, it it was really rough, and I think our conversation, Karen, after that was really interesting and I had a lot of people reach out that said like I feel the same way thank you for saying these things but one of the things that we talked about was this concept of unity and Mm -hmm. what unity meant to us and I think my comment was that you know I hope that we can as a country become united and then Karen I remember your comment and you were saying do you remember this because you were saying it's been very painful to kind of you know have people talk about that
1: yes I what I think I remember saying was pushing back against this idea that I should unify with people who think that I'm not human, who think I shouldn't have rights, who think that I shouldn't be an American, that I'm not an American, right? Like, I feel like we, yes, absolutely unity, but I feel like we also have to have, there have to be boundaries around that and that we need to stop pushing people to reach across some kind of... um that we have to be respectful. I like, guess is what I what I was trying to get at. That like I'm not gonna reach out to a white supremacist and be like, hey man, there are things you and I have in common. Like I just am not gonna do it. So
0: Dr. Israel, I so wanna hear what you have to say about this. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> because then we got an email from you and you were like, I want to talk to you in the pod, and both of us were like going oh, okay. Yes. Like we just like, <laughs> couldn't even like put a string of sentence together. Like, please. I mean, you are the, like, since our podcast, you've been on so many more. Like, tell us about your journey if you could. And then also like, we can, you know, dovetail that obviously into your, your feelings around unity, but it seems like, it seems like you've been pretty busy over the past couple of oh months. Gosh.
2: Indeed. So, so after I was with you all last time, I think I let you know that after I came on that podcast, I like, I started at the beginning of your podcast and I listened to all the other episodes. I like binge listened that weekend. And it was so great because it got me into like all the feelings that I had been having and all of this stuff. So I felt like super connected to you. And I wrote a song, I sent you the song that I wrote as a result of that. So there's just been, you know, listeners if you haven't listened to all the episodes why not go back start at the beginning listen to all of them it's so great and I love having you two in my ears every Monday I listen to you and then I have all these conversations with you in my head because I feel all connected to you and but you know I sometimes feel that way about all the podcasts I listen to but but this one I was like okay I had a thought you know when I heard you all talking about unity and I was like I'm just going to reach out and you were so like welcoming and fantastic. And I'm like, this is great because the, Oh, so I will, uh, let's do the unity thing. I can go back and well, I'll tell you a little bit about my, my journey since then. I have been on lots of podcasts. I was interviewed on NPR. I was there. I was like um, on the today show. I was, I've just had All of the, yeah, Hoda and Jenna and I had a conversation. Like, I know. So, So there's been so much attention to this book because people are struggling so much. Like people are so obviously struggling and people are like looking for help. And so, like I said, I just feel good that I can offer something. The super exciting thing that just happened is, I had been doing these workshops that's part of the book came out of these workshops that I was doing about helping people develop skills to have dialogue. I've just retooled the workshop so that I can offer it online. And I just started doing that literally this week. And so I've got like, like businesses and organizations lined up that are, I'm going to be doing this workshop. So I'm super excited about that because I just feel like I want to do whatever I can to help people through this difficulty. And I honestly feel like it's an opportunity. Like people are struggling so much that they want help figuring out what to do. And it turns out that these skills that we need to have dialogue across political lines are the same skills we just need, you know, to be able to be good partners and parents and community members and whatever. Um, So I kind of think that this is a great opportunity for us to, I don't know, like build those muscles that are gonna help us in whatever we're doing in our lives.
0: That's so true. I love that you point that out. That's, I I really hadn't thought of it that way in terms, I've always thought like, your book is perfect for this time and this place and this political climate, but you're right. It's just perfect for being a human. Like, that's really what, I mean, truly though, because it's like, we always have disagreements and there's always like, depending on where you are in your life or who you're around, those disagreements can get really heated and they don't have to do only with politics. So like your book actually has like, real tactical advice for people in all areas so i love that so much
2: i i love building on opportunities honestly after the the insurrection happened at the capitol i was like oh my gosh everyone's talking about patriotism right now like the people who invaded the capitol are like we're feeling patriotic and the people who are like i can't believe they're invading the capitol we're feeling really patriotic and i was like Wow, we should have a conversation about patriotism because everyone's feeling it even though they're doing completely different things about it. So, I don't know. I'm 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 all about the opportunity, really. The reason that I wanted to talk to y'all is because what you're saying, I'm hearing from so many people. Like you're you are so not alone in feeling like yes, we need unity, but I don't want to talk to those people, you know? Right? Yeah yeah so so a couple of things that I that I'm like I want to say these things to everyone who's feeling this like first of all I get it this feels like really stressful and exhausting and how can we possibly talk to these other people who are so far from where we are on this So the first thing I will tell you is most people are not extremists and we get a skewed perception of this because on the news, they're covering the extremists. And of course they are because that's more interesting news than interviewing people who are like, yeah, I don't know, I can kind of see both sides of it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding.
1: Yeah, no, MSNBC is not, yeah, basing their ratings on that person.
2: Yeah, Rachel
0: right. Maddow is not interviewing those people. No, right.
2: Exactly. And and after the capital insurrection, like lately, there's been all these stories about like how to get somebody out of QAnon, you know, and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, that is helpful information. And most people are not in QAnon. So we still need to talk about like, what can most people do? And so the first thing we can do is we can correct our misperceptions in that way. Like we need to know that we're being exposed to these images and and um, depictions of people who are on the extreme, and most people are not on the extreme. And not only that, like social media is the same way, so it's not just the news. On social media, the people who are most likely to post and interact on social media are people who are more extreme, like on both sides. So on social media, you know, there are some times when I feel like my social media posts I know that they don't all have exclamation marks and they're not all in caps, but they feel like that. It just feels like everybody's shouting. And so not everybody's shouting, but the people who are most likely to post kind of are a little bit more. So we have this idea that people are more extreme. There's also this thing that happens for us psychologically, where we are likely to view our own perspectives as being logical and well-founded and, and benevolent. We're thinking about everybody's interests. And we think other people who disagree with us are irrational, they're emotional, they're more partisan, and they're more extreme. And so that's not just because of the media. That's actually, I, I think about it as like a glitch in our operating system as human beings. Like, like we, we just tend to do that all the time. So those are the first things like, like what we're, who we're thinking those people are, who we're supposed to unify with, we're getting that wrong. Like we've got a skewed perception of that. That's really interesting. Cause it's like,
0: especially at least in my experience, like watching the insurrection was just the pinnacle of that for, I think, you know, just seeing that visually and thinking like, okay, there are thousands of people who are being violent and there are people who are dying because of this. And I think that image, I guess it's hard, it's so helpful, I guess is what I'm trying to say that you're pinpointing that this is not the norm, that these people are not the norm. Like this is not just because someone might've voted for Trump in the last election or is you know on a different side politically doesn't mean that they are breaking down the walls of the Capitol or the windows of the Capitol it's just, it's hard though. I have to be honest, Tanya. It's like, but then I see those images and I'm like, what do I do with the people who were like, how, like, oh, I don't want, I don't mean to be negative, but it's just
2: like, oh my gosh. No, be super honest because I feel like everything you're saying is what so many people are thinking. And so we get to have this conversation out loud. Totally. Totally.
1: Yeah. And I, I feel like where it resonates for me. And I, I I just remembered yet another connection that we have to you. So one of the writers to, for Rebellious Magazine, Jara Brown, I think reached out to you, right? So Jara wrote a couple stories. stories. Um, one of them for her, Just the Tip column, a section relationship advice column about um, how to have relationships kind of personal, like romantic relationships, right? Across political divides. But then she also wrote a personal essay about how she was rethinking unfriending her very conservative family in indiana and i feel like you really helped her frame her thinking around that and to organize her thinking like after the election she thought like i have passed up this opportunity to have conversation and to surface my life for these people
2: Mm -hmm. yeah and that was great i was so happy to get to talk to her thank you for pointing her in my direction that was amazing and Yes, yeah, so so many people are struggling with this. Is the thing. So that is the first thing. People are like, but how am I going to talk to white supremacists? And I'm like, don't talk to a white supremacist. Why are you talking to white supremacists? Like, they're like most people are not white supremacists. Most people are not neo Nazis. Most people. And honestly, when you looked at the data after um, the Capitol insurrection, and there was all the stuff about, you know, what do Democrats think? What do Republicans think? What do Trump voters think? even people who supported trump most of them did not feel like the the people who invaded the capitol represented them yeah and all i saw people doing in the media was comparing like that it was a larger percentage you know thought that thought that they were represented there than the democrats thought i'm like well of course you know like that's obvious but the much more interesting thing is that even most trump supporters did not feel like they represented them. And that, I think, is the really interesting news story that nobody was covering, you know? And that is the kind of thing that can help us to reset our misperceptions around things and go, okay, even if I'm talking to a Trump supporter, it's more likely than not that they don't even feel like they were represented by those people.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, (sighs) I, I, I hesitate to say that I have not thought about it this way (laughs) at all. Like I really haven't. I, I really have thought because I I do have people in my life who are familiar with people in their lives who do empathize with the insurrectionists, do empathize with the terrorists, who, you know, but then at the same time, they were not one of them. And so, and then there are other people who, like you say, like Trump supporters who are like, what was that? Like, that was the worst thing I've ever seen. Like, this is horrible. Um, Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting, this point about how this is not the norm. Um, I guess I just wonder though, can I ask about like, for people who like, okay, let's say that they didn't go to the Capitol or they don't support that but they still say really horrible things. They still say awful stuff. And they also um, still like, you know, vehemently, like in conversation, you know, uh, challenge you on just you as a rhetorical, but like, you know, as a idea of like, they're talking about how much they love Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. And they, you know, like, how do you, deal with like when those people are not supporting human rights and those people are not seeing you know certain members of the us as real as full humans like it's just it's just hard like even if they're not the people who you know charge through the capitol and even if they're not extreme some people still like they might not be on the far 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 right violence Mm -hmm. but they still do hold these horrible
2: horrible views so, that is such a great question because I think people are like, but if you're going to vote for those people who think these things, and from my framework, thinking those things means this, and voting for that person means this, then how can I talk to you? So, this is where I think we have to get down to all right, what does it mean for that person that we're talking to? So, if they say, you know, like, oh, I really liked that that there was this wall being built. And I'm really unhappy that, you know, we're, if we might not keep building this wall. And so, you know, in your head, you're like, my mind is exploding because how on earth can you think that? Because don't you believe in human beings and people seeking refuge and you know, all these exactly. things. Exactly, children in right. cages, the whole thing. Yes, and you're like, oh my gosh, children in cages. I know, so the thing to do is, be curious then about, okay, this person really liked the wall. Oh, so what is it that you liked about that? What did that mean to you? And then you get to hear something, you know, because the wall might mean something to you, but it might mean something very different to them. And so your reaction is based on what the wall means to you. And, you gosh, like what does the wall mean to them? And and like, why are they enthusiastic about it? And that would be an interesting thing to know because I hear so many people saying, I just can't understand how people can think that way or vote that way or act that way. But when we have opportunities to understand, we're not taking them. It's almost like I can't possibly understand is a badge of honor, which I, I don't think that's a badge that we want to get. You know I, I I don't think that there's something positive that we should be reinforcing about like oh my gosh I can't I can't understand other human beings.
1: Okay so um, my brain is exploding right now Dr. Tanya and I don't know if you can hear it listeners but it's actually it just went pop because I I could never have gotten there with somebody like I, I have someone luckily not close to me in my life who yes. Super pro the wall, wants jobs for real Americans, whatever that means to them. And I don't think I, I I feel like if I was ever gonna question and I just listen, whatever, but I feel like the my question for that person is how can you be how can you think these horrible things? Not what does that mean to you? Let let me understand personally like because you can't argue with somebody's feelings, right? Like once that person answers the question. I can't fight with them. If if the answer is it means to me security, it means to me protecting my family, it means to me whatever they say, I can't argue with that. Like, But I would never have been able to frame a question like that. I would just have come up to that person like, why are you so terrible?
2: <laughs> Seriously. Walk yes. me through why you're so terrible. <laughs> and some of that is like us getting in a place where we where we want to have that conversation and or, or recognizing if we don't because you don't always have to have that conversation. And, and so I always say, having these skills is provides an opportunity. It's not a mandate, it's never a mandate. And I see too many people not doing it and turning away from it, not even approaching dialogue because of these either skewed perceptions of other people or just viewing other people through their own lens. I mean, I don't like it when other people view me through their lens, you know, that that's that's obviously problematic, you know, so, so why am I doing this to them? And why am I not taking this opportunity to really get these other people who live in the same country as me and we somehow have to figure out how to make a country together. And so I'm like, how on earth are we gonna do that? if we just really don't even understand what the meaning is and the experiences and values are behind the opinions that they hold. Like we're always just focused on the opinions. To your point,
0: Dr. Israel, about about talking to people and asking real questions that are actually introspective and wanting to know genuinely what their experiences are. So if we could talk about that in terms of like an example, so it how do you handle things when you do come to them in a way that is very loving and very um, much, you know, wanting to know from a good place, what their experience is. And then maybe they don't respond in the same way. Like, do you have recommendations for people who truly are doing the work, but they, you know, as the, I, I feel like I've had therapists tell me like, you can only go As deep with someone as they've gone with themselves. And is that the same in this situation? Or are there ways to kind of diffuse the situation so that they feel safe enough to come to you? Do you know what I'm trying Mm -hmm. to say? I I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, so is it that they're like you want to understand them, but they don't seem to want to understand you? Is that the kind of situation you're thinking? That's about? what I mean. I f- feel like it's
0: you know, especially if there are relationships where it has been contentious. Like these conversations have happened, and they haven't gone well, and everybody knows what side they're on, and that's that. And so finally, you like if someone's listening to this podcast, thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to follow these these instructions, and I'm going to go to this person in my life, and I'm going to say this thing in a loving way, but then the response is not loving. Do you,
2: how do you handle that? So there's a couple things. One is I always ask people like, what's your goal? Like, why do you want to have dialogue if you do? And the main reasons that I hear are There's someone in my life who I want to stay connected to and we're having trouble doing that because of these differences. I also hear people say, I can't possibly fathom how people can think and act and vote as they do. People want to persuade other people or convince them to see things a different way. People want to find common ground or find ways of healing the divide. Like those are the primary reasons. It turns out to accomplish any of those goals, the two things you need to do are to try to understand them, and to help them feel safe and understood. That will help you to achieve any of those goals. So basically it's about understanding and connection and that's it. And so if they also don't wanna understand you, you can still reach your goal. Like if your goal is you wanna understand them and you do, or your goal is to stay connected in relationship with them, and you find ways of doing that, then you've met your goal. I think it's important that we have realistic expectations. You're probably not gonna shift their view, especially not quickly and not from one conversation. And especially not if you're not coming to them with curiosity and with openness and with respect, then you're never gonna change their mind you know. otherwise. And, and even if you come at them with that, you might not change your mind and you might, if you're really in a place of connecting and respect, you might be like, actually, probably that's not even my goal anymore. So, it's, so some of it's setting the goal right. And then the other thing about it, especially if there's been contentious stuff in the past, is that that invitation needs to convey that, you know, it needs to say, I know that this has been hard for us to talk about in the past. I would like to have a different kind of conversation. I'm really interested in knowing more about where you're coming from with things and in repairing our relationship. And, and then you actually have to do it. You know, that's that's the other part.
1: Well, and I, I love that so much because I do think, especially in relationships with family, I feel like the goal is never, I just want to understand where they're coming from. It's, I just want you to approve of my lifestyle. <laughs> I just want you to be proud of me. I just want you to tell me what I want to get right. Like, and Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just so fraught. I feel like those conversations become so fraught with all of these other things, but if you can just simplify it, like you're saying that seems much more manageable. Like, yeah, no, you're probably not going to get your grandma to co-sign on your kink lifestyle. It's probably not going to, we're not, we're not going to get there from this one conversation, but like, maybe pick something else. Yeah.
2: I'm so glad you brought that up though, because one of the things that I've learned, because I was always like, okay, what are your goals? And if people just know what their goals are and have the skills, they'll totally be able to do this. It'll be great. It turns out that people have more than one want. They're like, yes, I want to understand, but I also want to be able to speak my mind without any censoring. You know, I want to be able to stay connected, but I also want to feel validated. And so so that's the thing. We all have those conflicts in terms of our wants. So I think it's really important to know that. Like like what you're saying is so perfect because it's like, yeah. Oh, I realize I have these ulterior motives or I have these sort of hidden motivations in addition to this. And so then I'm like, okay, if you're probably not gonna get those needs met through this relationship, like get those needs met elsewhere. And then maybe you can bring some more simplified goals to this conversation.
0: One question I have is about boundaries. So if you're approaching a conversation with someone in this loving way, and, you say, and you're saying these things that you recommend, which are, I'd like to have a different type of conversation. But in the past, you know, there's, there have been major boundary issues where like someone has said something that is like very, very hurtful, potentially permanently. Like, do you recommend setting up ground rules or, I I mean, I I guess I'm just wondering in terms of like how someone who's listening to this thinking like, oh my gosh, my, you know, insert the name of the person that they're struggling with is, is really, will always go over the line like even and and they always get heated and even if we're starting in this loving place it's going to get heated. I mean, and they still want to have the
2: conversation, is there something to think about around boundaries? Sure. And and I do recommend some communication guidelines and, and establishing communication guidelines and so I think that that's, that that's important. And the other thing to remember is like not everybody is going to be somebody who can necessarily do this with. And Sometimes people can get there. Not everyone's going to start the conversation in that place. And because not everybody's read my book, you know? Um, but exactly, <laughs> but exactly. not, yeah, not everybody's sort of coming in with those skills. They're not skills we're born with. So, like, developing those and some personalities you know, are easier to do this, uh, you know, have an easier time with this than others. So I think you gotta take all that into account in assessing like whether you wanna approach this the conversation, but also whether you wanna stay in it. But well, I guess what I'm saying is give it a try, like give it a try and see what you can do and if nothing else, you're exercising your own muscles to be able to develop those skills and practice those skills. I mean, practice them in low-stakes situations first if you can, and then you know, tackle the more difficult ones and, and, and try it. It's, um, uh, it. It might work out uh, in terms of achieving your goals for dialogue, but if nothing else, it's giving you some, you know, some new challenge and some new, uh, new skills to develop.
1: Ah, So,
2: so relaxing. I feel
1: so much better about, let's go do it right now. So, um, I think as I'm thinking through what political differences look like and what our lives look like now, I don't know if you can give some other examples of where this might come up for people. Like family, I feel like is the most obvious, this is the biggest and most obvious one, mm-hmm. but I don't know, what are you hearing from people? Are people having this at work or are they having less of it at work because we're on Zoom and your conversations are much more limited or are they having it in church groups? Like where are you,
2: where are people running into these and how are they handling it? I think that's a great question. People are definitely running into it in the workplace and I'm hearing from you know, managers and leaders in, in the workplace. It's also that, uh, People are a little bit more feeling like, I want to bring my whole self to work. You know, I don't want to have to leave my values or my identities at the door. I want to bring all of that in. And then it's like, okay, well, how do you manage that? Because if everybody's bringing their whole selves in, then there's going to be some people rubbing up against each other. Or what if you want your workplace to take a stand on something and make a statement about something? Uh, Then how do you actually navigate that? So it's definitely happening in the workplace. And I think it's happening in our communities. It's happening when when you're like in the supermarket and someone's wearing their mask like down below their nose like what do you do then and it's it's happening when we think about okay then yeah, we started out talking about it these restaurants are are opening for indoor dining how could they be doing that like all the stuff about managing COVID is is such an example of just kind of in a community how do we manage difference and so yes there there's no there's no dearth of opportunity to have these conversations these days if you're that's what you're worried about <laughs> I
0: mean that's the the mask below the nose oh man like there's just I'm having a great day and then all of a sudden I see someone and I'm like what are you doing but yes Um, one question I do have is about, so for people who are listening, who might not have someone close in their life, who they can have a conversation about this with maybe, maybe everyone in their life or everyone in their closest circle does vote the same direction or just commiserates about how they all feel the same way. But I have actually had a lot of conversations lately with people who walk around angry. I, for lack of a better phrase, like they just cannot believe that these people, I'm putting air quotes, believe some X, Y, Z. Like they're not having these conversations. They don't actually have an opportunity to have these conversations with the people in their lives because the people in their lives, again, like vote the same way. But they're just mad, and it's like, and I, I think there's a lot of, you know, I, we did a whole episode on rage. Like I think there's a lot of um, beauty in, in, you know, expressing anger and honoring our anger as a feeling. But what do you say to that? Because it's like do you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's kind of like these, like, I actually, I'll say, to, I'll just be totally vulnerable. I don't have my, my immediate family, both um, my family and my husband's family, all are Democrat. And we, I will often get on the phone with a member of my family and we'll just spew about how mad we are about these people that why do they, it, It's it's horrible. And I want to be an empathetic person. And at the same time, I'm just like, And so like, it just makes me so upset. And so I guess I'm just wondering what you, if there's any advice or anything that you have to say or thoughts around that, where like the dialogue isn't happening, it's not actually an issue. It's more just that like we're struggling internally.
2: Such a great question. There are so many people and I've decided that there's something beyond even just being in a bubble. Like some of us are bubble wrapped. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes, multiple (laughs) layers. That is profound right there.
2: Yeah. Yes We're bubble wrapped. It's just like there's no access at all to people who are outside of this value system. And, and I, I see this happening with a lot of people I know because it's like if you don't have any exposure to other people, then all you're getting are those media images. and that's that's all you have exposure to. So it's it's this particularly narrow, Stereotype of people, it's so hard to humanize people in that way, because you're just getting this very narrow slice, and people are reacting to these, uh, you know, theoretical people who are on the other side, rather than actual people. So, I think the first thing is to recognize that that's probably what's happening, and that there are these other people. The other thing is... There are some fantastic groups that are providing opportunities for people to connect across the divide. Um, Braver Angels is a great group for that. And actually, I participated in, they had this sort of debriefing session the week after the Capitol insurrection, and over 4,000 people participated in that. And it was great. It's on their YouTube channel. So Braver Angels is great. Living Room Conversations has also been doing great work bringing people together. And so these, if you're like but where do i find somebody who disagrees with me then getting involved with one of these groups and like they they set things up so that so that people can have that dialogue so i think that's a great opportunity so something that i've been reading about since our last conversation on the pod is a different kind of polarization. So we think about polarization as polarization between people on the left and people on the right. But there's also this difference between people who are really reactive to and like highly engaged in politics, like the political junkies, and people who have other priorities in their lives and aren't so emotionally invested. So that's called affective polarization. And it turns out that that's where the people who are more extreme on the left and more extreme on the right have a thing in common. They're the ones who are really emotionally activated by all of this. And... Then there's all these other people who are like, yeah, I don't really want to get involved in this. And the last thing I want to do is have a conversation with one of those people on either side. So there's this other interesting kind of polarization that's happening where, where, you know, you might be getting really activated around stuff. You've got something super in common with people on the other side because they're feeling the same way. But what we're not understanding are the people who are, like just not so emotionally engaged in things. And those are actually some of the people who we should probably be having this dialogue with because those are the people who have different kinds of views, but they're not necessarily the most extreme. And they can also probably help us understand, oh, here's a really great thing about those people. They have the most accurate perception of the people on the extremes. The people on the extremes don't have very accurate perceptions of anybody else, but the people who, uh, who are in the middle and actually the most politically disengaged people are much more accurate in their perceptions. My brain just went boom
1: again. What are you doing? Okay, so I am thinking of this interaction. It's so interesting. It just as soon as you said that, it popped into my head. The day of the Kavanaugh uh whatever yeah we don't need to get into it Kavanaugh that's all I'm gonna say um I was at the grocery store with Tori of course hi Tori and you know she which exactly and we were buying every salty food every barrel of alcohol in this grocery store I literally barrels of it and we're having a bonfire at somebody's house and Tori said something to her cashier about like, and so the cashier of course makes note of the like barrels of alcohol, right? And says something like, oh, rough day ladies. And it's a, you know, one, a woman our age probably. And Tori's like, well, yeah, God, this Kavanaugh hearings. And the woman's like, oh, I, I don't follow politics. And it was just this moment, like everyone I knew, to your point, Katie, every woman I knew was just on fire with rage that whole week, just like flaming hair enraged. And to interact with this woman who was just like, oh yeah, no, Uh, I don't like to get it. It was just, it was so confusing, (laughs) it was so confounding. And then of course we got mad at her, right? So it's just so, how, so yeah. What do we have to learn from these people other than the fact that they have a much clearer perception of what's going on what can we learn
2: from them? Oh, Karen, I love that story. and that's that's such a great question, because not only are we not understanding people at the other extreme, we're not even understanding like the people in the middle, and and they can enrage us because we're like, "How can you not care about any of this? This is important." So, yeah, that it's it's really challenging. So the thing that they do, that those that those people who aren't so engaged do, if they're watching the news, they're not watching cable news. They're watching um, you know the, the the channels that 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 you know that existed like before, and and so they're not doing that thing. That people on the extremes do, which is only paying attention to things that are reinforcing a belief that they already have. Or sometimes they'll like pay attention to the stuff on the other side just to see what those crazy people on the other side are listening to, you know? But but the the, the people who are less politically engaged, they're not listening to the news as much. And when they do, they're not listening to news that's as partisan, you know, that's, that's um, as much on either side. It was so interesting because I was listening to an episode. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but you all were talking about, oh my gosh, I know. I can't stop watching the news. But every time I watch the news, I get so upset. And, yep. and that's the thing we can learn from those people. We can learn that if we don't watch the news, things will still happen, Um, like we're not affecting things by watching the news except sometimes our own internal experience of it. And so it's not to say that, you you know the phrase, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. And so we feel like we must pay attention to every single thing and we must be outraged about it because otherwise like we don't care and we're not informed. And the truth is we should pay attention enough so that we can stay informed about what we need to to make the decisions, but we're paying too much attention probably. We're probably like too um, engaged in the moment to moment news. You could probably wait till tomorrow and find these things out and that wouldn't make a difference in the world. Oh boy. Um, this is, I would love to bring
0: you to my next therapy session, Dr. Israel, because seriously, uh, this is, this is very helpful, honestly. Um, so many things. I do have some people in my life who I'd never thought about how some people in my life just don't pay attention to politics very much. Like Karen, I'm exactly like you, every close person in my life, truly their hair was on fire. Like I remember where I was watching the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, it's just, you know, it's really interesting because I think you're like, I, I so resonate what, with what you're saying, Dr. Israel, in, to- in terms of, you know, the people who aren't as into politics, who might not watch the news all the time, seem a little bit more peaceful in general. I mean, I will I will say that, you know, I as a journalist, like I feel the need to be up on politics or up on the news, but actually just this week, I had an experience where I realized that the Consumption that I was um, sustaining was hurting my mental health. And so this week, um, uh, Representative um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez released an Instagram Live on Monday. Um, it was either Monday or Tuesday. And for people who haven't seen it, I'll link it in the um, description. But it's a nine. if you've seen it, it's a 90 minute um yeah it's a it's a 90 minute uh direct to camera um explanation sec- literally second by second of her experience and it is horrific um she thought she was gonna die in certain parts she, th- she was getting attacked personally um and what happened was is i it was all over my instagram feed it was everywhere i mean it was just it was it blew up twitter it blew up everything and i i so love her i love aoc um and I hope she becomes president someday, but I also, um, so I, f- I felt the need because she you know, had put this out there that I was like, okay, I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to watch this, like this is important. And so sitting, I realized that sitting at my desk, eating my lunch, watching her was not good for me because I was looking at her face and she was crying and all of this stuff. So I was like, you know what? Instead, I'm just gonna make this better on myself. So I'm gonna go for a walk with my dog and I'm gonna listen to it on my headphones oh no, it didn't make it better on me at all. I had to keep stopping and starting and stopping and starting. And finally, with about 30 minutes left of the 90 minute recording, I couldn't do it anymore. And there's part of me that has like some weird guilty feelings about that. Like, I know that I can read the New York Times piece about exactly what it was, but like, because I love her so much, I felt the need to, you know, do like to, to really honor her by watching her video. But to your point, it's not helping anything. It's happening anyway. And so like, that's very helpful to me because I think that like, I'm, I'm honestly still traumatized by, or at least, you know, in like secondarily by watching her video.
2: I want to give you permission to not listen to things, to not watch everything, to not read everything. It's, it's, First of all, there's just no way to, there's too much content out there now. And so we can't take it all in and we need a break from it. You know, I I, I think that's that's such a, a telling experience that you had and so good that you were able to pay attention to what kind of effect it was having on you.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I think, oh, Katie, I'm so sorry you went through that. What I, I feel like it brings up for me too is that I, I feel like a lot of the folks who I know who are constantly heightened, who are constantly paying attention and constantly doing things, have this, got this feeling, got this awakening, got this cold splash of water after 2016 and now feel like I spent 40 years of my life not paying attention and this is what happened and I have to make up for all of that time. And I feel like we don't have to what you're saying. Like, I feel like this is another permission slip for you listeners. Like you can, you don't have to make up for all 40 years in the next news cycle. Like you can take your time and be engaged, but not drive yourself
2: crazy. Yes, absolutely. And we can't both read everything, listen to everything, and also do everything. And so sometimes I'm like, okay, I have to make a decision between whether I'm going to read what everyone else said or whether I'm going to write something. And I can't always do all of that. And I always feel like, oh my gosh, I can't write something and not be informed. But at the same time, if, if I try to, you know, figure out every single thing that somebody said about unity before I write something about unity, well, Then I'm just gonna have to go talk to Katie and Karen about unity because I haven't had time to write. (laughs) Which is not a bad outcome.
1: Great. We'll take it. Yes. Okay.
0: Always, always. Oh, I you know, one question I do have is I wonder, so in the months that you have been promoting this book and now selling this book and you know, talking about it and this topic of unity and this topic of dialogue. Do you have hope, Dr. Israel, like, of like, you know, do you see people, I mean, I'm not trying to be negative, uh, truly, I'm just actually asking, like, do you see, have you seen change in the past six, eight months? Have you seen conversations that are happening now that maybe they wouldn't have
2: before? Like, are you, do you have a sense of hope? Thank you, Katie. That's such a great question. And and I wanted to, to also say something about what you were saying earlier about being a journalist, because I have been talking to a lot of journalists over the last few months, and they've all just been losing their minds because they can't turn it off. They can't not pay attention to all the news. And so many of them after, after the interview said, oh, wow, it was really helpful to talk to you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, journalists are suffering this, you know, it's just been so difficult. So I want to say that. Um, I am incredibly optimistic. Some of that is apparently a personality trait. But it also means that I've been paying attention to not necessarily all the things that other people are paying attention to, but I've been paying attention to some other things. So when I talk about, oh yeah, there are these organizations, Living Room Conversations and Braver Angels and Aspen Institute is doing a bunch of stuff about how to have better disagreements. And so many people, other people have written books, other people are doing things. And so I am connected in now because I've been doing this stuff, I'm connected in on social media with all the other people who are doing this kind of stuff. And so that's what's filling up my feed, is, oh, this thing's happening, and this person wrote a piece about this, and oh, isn't it wonderful that this is happening? And I'm like, hooray, you know, it it feels so good. And I was just thinking as you were asking the question, like, you know, people will hashtag academic Twitter or something, you know, there'll be these different things. And maybe we need to have like hashtag unity Twitter or something like that, because there's a lot going on that most people aren't necessarily attending to or it's not necessarily in front of people's faces. So I think that's one of the best things that we can all do is put some of this in front of us so that we're reminded consistently that that there is this thing happening, that people are coming together, that they wanna come together. Follow me on BYB Dialogue on Instagram and Twitter and like, like I'll keep putting content out there and sharing other people's stuff so that you can see that that there are people coming together, there are people interested in unity and there are people who are doing it. So that's been the best part of this. The more that I do this, the more I'm aware of other people doing this and that makes me so optimistic. And then back to that thing of these, this is an opportunity where people are interested in learning these skills to have dialogue that will be helpful skills all along, but right now people wanna do it. So I'm like, great, let's capitalize on that. That is so beautiful. And I feel like a good way to
1: end and we want to be respectful of your time. Of course we could, I mean, we'll spend the entire night on the phone with you. Like, I don't, we would, we would welcome you back anytime. Yeah. I mean, we still, okay. We didn't talk about Buffy yet. We didn't ask you about calm yet, which I'm completely obsessed with. So you have to come back at least two more times. I think,
2: (laughs) yes, please. I, I, I will pretty much literally come back anytime you want. <laughs> I I feel so fortunate to have a chance to to talk to Katie and Karen. Like you you two are awesome. I knew and I knew that I could have this conversation with you. Like like a lot of people are talking about unity and I keep like thinking, oh, I want to say these things. So thank you for letting me use your platform to to have the conversation that I've been wanting to have. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And I, I will just
1: say one thing. It's, it's surfacing for me is that like all of the work that you're talking about organizations are doing is the opposite of what the media gets paid to do I hate to say it but we are making a joke about Rachel Maddow I mean she fronts that when she says when she yells into the camera more people watch her than if she's just calm people yeah. ch- use her to channel their own outrage and in a 24 hour news cycle, you have to constantly be creating drama. You have to, it's like reality television. You have to have conflict, even if it doesn't exist, they're just constantly cranking it out. And so if you are feeling anxious after watching the news, that's what it's for. Like it's doing its job. It is doing its job. And I just think unplugging from it doesn't mean that you don't care. It's just, you're trying to take care of yourself
0: point to end on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And we cannot wait to have you back. Thank you for your time.